Friday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. It's also game day for the Toronto Raptors as they are in Orlando getting set for a road tilt against the Magic before they come back home to host Kyle Lowry and the Miami Heat on Sunday evening. So a busy weekend against the two Florida teams for the Raptors. And, of course, we've got the uh, NCAA returning to the floor as well with the Final Four going tomorrow night with the two semifinal games and then the championship coming up on Monday as well. So a lot going on in the basketball world, and we will dive into it today as, yes, we are hitting the airwaves a little bit earlier today with a two-hour edition of Smith & Jones and a lot of hoops coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours as uh, we've got, uh, as I just mentioned, a lot to dive into and a lot to digest. And uh, among our guests today, uh, former NBA or former Kyle Lowry teammate and uh, a guy that played at Villanova as well. We're going to hear from Randy Foy and uh, Clark Kellogg, one of the best uh, covering the NCAA. He will be on the show today, plus much more uh, over the course of the next couple of hours. But I also talked about the fact that it's game day for the Raptors, and folks, the Raptors enter action tonight with an even bigger lead in terms of their uh, hold on the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference as Toronto begins play now two and a half games up on the Cavaliers as the Cavs lost last night big time to the Atlanta Hawks 131-107 the final of that game as the Hawks get the victory and the Cavs now two and a half back of the Raptors in the 6-7 battle Cleveland now only two up on Brooklyn and coming in hot and heavy both the Hawks and Hornets because I mentioned two up on Brooklyn. Brooklyn, because of tiebreak scenarios, the eighth seed. But the Nets, Hornets, and Hawks all sit at 40 and 37. So with five games remaining, Toronto has a four-and-a-half game lead over the Nets, Hornets, and Hawks. So mathematically, there's still a chance, I guess. It would take an epic collapse for... Toronto and an epic run for the Nets, Hornets, and Hawks to even try and chase down sixth. So right now, it's still kind of that battle for 6-7, but also the battle potentially for fifth as Toronto now a half game back of the Bulls because the Bulls beat the Clippers last night. So if you're following along at home, if I haven't lost you in all the numbers, and I'm sure I haven't if you're a Raptor fan, if you're an NBA fan, and again, certainly if you're a Toronto fan, you're keeping a close eye on this. Chicago, a game and a half behind Philly for fourth. Chicago, a half a game up on Toronto in fifth. Toronto, two and a half up on Cleveland for sixth. It is jammed, folks. It is jammed. Because you know what? Maybe I should have started right at the top because on a night-to-night basis, we are seeing... Flipping and flopping between the one, the two, the three, the four, the five, the six, and potentially we could see it with seven and eight as well. There are only four and a half games separating Toronto in sixth from the number one heat. Now, I don't think Toronto's going to track down number one, clearly. That would be, as I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, an epic run and an epic collapse for a number of teams. But the heat in first, only a half game up on the Bucks in second who are only a game and a half up on the Celtics in third, who are only a half game up on the Sixers in fourth, who are only a game and a half up on the Bulls in fifth, who are only a half game up on the Raptors in sixth. 
Like, that is crazy. I don't know if we've ever seen it this tight between so many seeds in the East or the West. So, again, the Raptors entering action tonight against the last place team in the Eastern Conference. In fact, tied for the worst record in the NBA overall, the Orlando Magic. But you got to go take care of business. Because I don't care what the record says, 20 and 57. They've lost four in a row. They beat you a couple of weeks ago in your joints. So Toronto cannot afford to look past this one or to look ahead to the next homestand that's coming and that big game with Lowry on Sunday or whatever. They've got to go on the road for a one-game business trip and go take care of said business. Raptors having won four in a row entering action tonight. They, along with the Atlanta Hawks, previously mentioned Hawks, the hottest teams in the Eastern Conference in terms of having won four in a row. But if we look um, even bigger scale at what the Raptors have done over their last 10, hottest team in the East overall, eight and two over their last 10. But you got to take care of business against the Magic. Don't let another one slip against a subpar opponent as the Raptors can move back into a mathematical tie with the Bulls tonight. Again, Chicago with the tie break. So Toronto would still sit in sixth, but they would also then pick up another half game on the Cavs and extend their lead over Cleveland to three full games with only five games remaining for both teams in the regular season. So that would be massive. And Jonesy, we can't understate or overstate, depending on how you look at it, how important tonight's game is for Toronto. And again, as I say, just taking care of business against a team that, yes, you're supposed to win, but you were supposed to win a couple of weeks ago too. And we all know that it doesn't always go the way it's supposed to go. Never does. It never does, E. And um, um, let me say this. How many people had Detroit beating Philadelphia last night? Exactly. And, and, and you look at the Orlando Magic in four of their last six games, it has been a single-digit result, either winning by four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or losing by that amount, which means they're in the game. They, 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 they beat Toronto, albeit a bit of a schedule loss, a couple weeks ago here in Toronto, three weeks ago. The first game with Toronto and Orlando was a one-point game. When was the last time Toronto beat Detroit? You're right, E. It's never, it's never that easy. And especially these young, up-and-coming teams that have, have, I wouldn't say nothing to play for, but are in, they, they don't have a playoff to play for, but they're in the developmental stages of their careers and the team's, the team's evolution. And, man, they play hard. Like, I watched Detroit and, and Philly last night. I was channel surfing. Man, Dwayne Casey's teams play hard. And, and when you think back, E, to, like, the, the Nets, when they had Kenny Atkinson and they got rid of Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and they were just a collection of guys. And, and I think about what Dwayne's doing now in Detroit. And I think about what Jamal Mosley, who... I love him as a young coach in, Toronto, in, in Orlando. I didn't get to see him last time we were in Toronto because uh, I, was on the, I was in the protocols. But the first thing they do is establish a culture of playing hard. You know, look at the Raptors. Look how hard they play. 
And that came from that culture that was established way back when they weren't a great, uh, they weren't getting a lot of wins. And, and uh, E, do you remember you and I doing the, the uh, post-game show in the, in the window <laughs> at what was Real Sports Apparel outside of Real Sports Bar? Uh, do, you, do you remember those days? Of course. <laughs> okay. I, I remember those days so, for a lot of reasons. Not only a struggling yeah, so team, but I. I remember I remember getting mooned. I remember people trying to strip <laughs> in front of the window. I remember people trying to come up to the glass and kiss through the glass. I remember getting flipped off. I remember a lot of times in that window. <laughs> so, so there's one call in particular that stood out for me. And the guy was all over us. Oh, Eric Smith, Paul Jones, you guys are just... You don't know what you're talking about. You're talking about establishing a winning culture. This team stinks. They have 23 wins. Hey, they are establishing a winning culture. And how you do it is you get people that are going to play hard. And, and, and that's the basis for a winning culture. Teams that play hard and they play together. And then you develop your talent. And, and you make trades. and you, But you don't bring people in that aren't going to lay it all out there. You don't bring people in that aren't going to play hard. And think about what we've been saying recently about Toronto, how nobody probably wants to play them. Because, one, they're a good team. They're talented. But, dang, they play hard. They get after it. So, you know, to, to tie this all back to tonight, the Orlando Magic are going to get after it tonight. They are. Even though they, they don't have a playoff spot on the line or a play-in spot, or they're going to get after it because that's what you do when you're a team trying to build and establish, build towards winning. You establish a culture of playing hard. Well, and uh, the Raptors have proven that more often than not. More often than not. Has there been some slippage? Yes. And do we need to mention the 10-10-62 again? Uh, maybe we got to go back and go through the schedule and find out if that theory has truly applied over the course of the season. Can we come up with 10 it losses? Has. Yeah, I think it has as well. I think it has. Can you know, we come he, up with 10? I, I, We're not going to do it live on the air, right? But, but you know, sit down, folks, and you take a look. See if you can find 10 games that didn't swing Toronto's way uh, because they just, you know, they got bit. They, they, they didn't have it. But find 10 more games where you didn't think that they were going to win, and they did. And what happened in the middle 62? That's where the season was ultimately won for Toronto. And that's why they have, you know, uh, surpassed whatever Vegas and all the prognosticators thought. And that's why they're sitting here right now in a locked-in playoff spot. Yeah, and, and, and it's funny, Eric, you were saying that last night uh, in doing research for our game tonight. And, and I stumbled across that where the Raptors lost to Orlando and beat them by one. And... I'm sure there were howls from the fans. How do you lose to Orlando? I, I went through it and, and uh, looked at, at the, the summary page um, for, for the Raptors. And that page where they list in the notes all of the wins and losses. So win by two, lose by two. Like there's a, there's a, there's a chart there. And I counted it, and it, it, it's almost like 10, 13, 59 <laughs> instead of the, the 10, 10, 62. Like I'm looking at games where they have won by, uh, you know, I wouldn't call it a blowout, but games where they've won by 10 points or more. Uh, 
20 games. Wow. Where they've won by 10 points or more. Like that you would so you would call those pretty you know comfortable wins. I mean, when you look at games where they've won by 15 points or more, there's 11 of those games. Right? And so it it fits it pretty much fits into our theory that you know the the 10 10 62. They've had three losses by more than 30, one by 27, three by 16 or more, one by 17, two by 15 or more. Like it, it happens there sometimes. <laughs> and 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 to the other side of that coin, E, uh, and you know I always bring it out when we get down to uh, the the close part of the game. The Raptors have the second most games in the NBA that are three points or less with a minute to go. Ahead or behind by three with a minute to go. Second most games. And, maybe not coincidentally, second most wins. They don't have the best record. Their their winning percentage is in the middle of the pack. I think it's 11-12. It's above 500. But um, 11th or 12th above 500. But they have more close games than any other team in the NBA except one. So uh, whoever came up with that theory and passed it on to us, I first heard it from the great Dr. Jack, the late great Dr. Jack Ramsey. And, uh, man, it, it, it sure seems to hold true at times. Man, I was going to take credit for it, Jonesy. I, you know, it's, it's been so long uh, that we could have taken credit for it. You, you, I mean, listen, I don't want to take away from, from a Hall of Famer, the great Jack Ramsey, but, I mean, people would have forgotten by now. We've, we've talked about it so much and, 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 and tied it to the, you know, the 10, 10, 220, the old long-distance commercials that people, just, oh, that's a Smith & Jones thing. So forget the Hall of Famer Jack Ramsey, Jonesy. Okay. This, is, this is Smith & Jones. This is, this is, our, this okay. is our theory. Right? Come on now. Well, well, it's funny because I used to attribute the other one. People talk, I mean, we interact with people on Twitter and they talk to us and we, we always talk about how sports, we work in the toy department, right? Like it's the toy department of life. And I heard that from Pat Riley. Pat Riley used to talk about that sports is a toy department of life. The original where it was, I don't know if this is where Pat Riley heard it, but somebody once said to me, Howard Cosell said that. Hmm. Well, listen. Uh, I know somebody was listening when when we well more so you. I, I I I have used the term before, but you definitely use it more than me. But uh, a couple of games ago down at Scotiabank Arena, I'm not I'm not honestly not name dropping here. I just happened to be post game, uh, you know, seeing a few people and Max Kerman from Arkells, who we've had on the show. I was chatting with him yes. for a couple of minutes, and, and he was referencing one of his recent concerts and just kind of you know, getting back to some semblance of normalcy in the midst of all the craziness that's going on and unfortunately still going on with the pandemic and everything else, with things rising again and whatnot, but I digress on that. And he said, you know, just like you guys were talking about when I was on your show a few weeks back, you know, the toy department of, uh, of life. He's like, I kind of I like that line because it was it's sort of like music as well in concerts, you know, like we're getting to do the fun stuff. And, and it's, the, you know, other people that are doing the heavy lifting and whatnot. But we're trying to to be an outlet for escape for people and whatnot. So he he referenced that line as well, Jonesy. So maybe it's something that he carries the torch on and brings to the to the music world as well. The uh, the toy department of life. Um, we're oh, going to yeah, be joined by their toys, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's 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 a but and for us, it's an outlet too, too right? Like and, and I don't know about yeah. you, but I can't I know I can't sing. 
I can, and I know I can't dance, and well, I know I don't play any uh, instruments either, so I just sit back and, and respect and appreciate what musicians can do from, uh, from all different uh, uh, genres and whatnot in the, in the musical world. I was going to say, we're going to be joined by Bobby Marks in a couple of minutes' time, but a stacked show today, folks. Uh, Bobby Marks, followed by Clark Kellogg, and then later on, Lionel Hollins and Randy Foy. So we've got a lot of hoops coming your way on a two-hour edition of Smith & Jones to close out the week. So lots to dive into with our guests as we will, of course, hit NCAA and uh, a lot around the NBA as well. Uh, Jonesy, before you joined on there, um, I was trying to go through the standings and just talking about how tight it is in the Eastern Conference. It's not as tight in the West at the top or even the top two, but when you look at three through six, and I guess if you want to include seven with Minnesota, Minnesota now three games back of the Nuggets in the 6-7 battle. So that loss to Toronto the other night was not good for them. But there are only two games separating three through six with Dallas, Golden State, Utah, and Denver. Dallas is actually already locked in a playoff spot, so they're guaranteed to be in the playoffs, but it depends where. So it's, it's wild to see in both conferences how much jockeying and flipping and flopping could go on here in these final you know, five games, basically, of the season for most teams. Um, I think, I think a lot, Eric, I mean, you, we were talking about this before too. Like you look at how, how, as you say, how tight it is. Uh, Do they met, did the, did the people tempt the basketball gods too? Will people, will teams lose to try and get matchups? Everybody swears that the first year the Raptors won the Atlantic division title that the, the New Jersey Nets with Jason Kidd and Vince Carter, they manipulated the standings to get the Raptors. I mean, that's a dangerous game to play, but um, I was listening to one national outlet yesterday that was talking about the big story, oh, nobody wants to play Toronto. And it's not because the Raptors are, as this the, 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 the host on the show said, they're a good team, they play hard, um, they've got lots of weapons. The other reason why people don't want to play them is they don't want to have to travel to Canada because of potential vaccine status and issues with their teams and guys being unvaccinated. So everybody's trying to everybody's trying to avoid the Raptors. I mean, uh, I, I think there's going to be some flip flopping, Eric. I think there's going to be some jumping. And uh, to give you your just desserts and your 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 due, the Cleveland Cavaliers have lost what two in a row. They're they're four and six in their last ten. And they have plummeted from one time being third in the East to below the line. And don't look now, but even though they lost yesterday, the Brooklyn Nets are only two games behind them in the loss column. Mm-hmm. So, well, and, I, and, and uh, as I noted, I don't know if you looked, but and, and, and thanks for giving me my just desserts, Jonesy, as I've been calling it forever. And, and, and finally, I'm right about something. But have hey, you looked hey, behind hey, the hey, Nets? Hey, hey. What? Hey, a broken clock is right twice a day, so don't don't <laughs> exactly. pat yourself on the back too much. <laughs> exactly. Oh, trust me, I'm not. I'm not. That's why I said I'm finally right on something. Have you looked behind the nets though? Because we're so focused yeah. on the nets, and I, I've been as guilty. The Hornets and Hawks, all tied. exact same record, exact same <laughs> record. It is wild right now. It is wild. Um, let's bring into the conversation. 
to chat about this and, and well, a whole lot more. Lots to uh, dive into around the association over the last uh, seven to ten days or so here uh, from ESPN front office insider Bobby Marks. Bobby, we always appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Hey, guys. Good morning. How are you? Uh, morning, doing Bobby. well, doing well, Bobby. The league, I assume, has got to be loving this because, like, put aside even the play-in, uh, you know, the the, the play-in teams. I look at what's happening in the East, and and I've I've mentioned it now two, three times in the opening fifteen minutes of the show. The separation between one and even arguably six. I don't think Toronto's going all the way to the top, but still four and a half games separating one through six in the East, and then three through six with only two games separating the teams in the Western Conference. It is crazy how much um, movement could happen here in these final four or five games of the season. No, you're right. I mean, I think there's probably two people that don't like this. Uh, Tom Corelli, who does a schedule at the NBA when trying to figure (laughs) out the playoffs, and the the team travel manager (laughs) trying to figure out what hotel they're going to need. It's going to be pretty wild. I mean, when you look at, you know, the 10 – the 10 teams are locked in and we just don't know where things are going to fall. I think, I think there's a good feeling the top six, um, I don't see Toronto falling back to seven just based on where, where how Cleveland has played. Um, so I think they are going to avoid uh, the playing here. And it's, it's just a matter of, you know, those kind of everything else, right? I mean, you saw Milwaukee last night. If I'm Brooklyn, I want nothing to do with Milwaukee if I get out of uh, the play-in tournament. Or, um, you know, the big talk right now is the vaccination status for Celtics and Sixers players. Like, that's going to that's gonna be an interesting thing to follow in the next couple of weeks if one of those teams um, do play the Raptors here. But, um the Eastern Conference is uh, wide open. I think uh, I, I certainly how the DNA of Milwaukee, I give them a, probably a little bit of an edge over, you know, maybe to put Miami up there a little bit, but how they've, you know, how they played last night. I mean, the last three minutes of that game was tremendous. I felt like we're watching the finals again here, but it's going to be, um, it's going to be, um, you know, wild, uh, I guess, you know, you know, two weeks here. Bobby, something I, I'm going to get to in a, in a minute here. So, so just to, prep you for that uh, I, I think we're sorely overlooking Giannis by voter fatigue yeah. for the MVP but but in that game you talked about um, that game last night and Eric and I were talking about manipulating the standings you've been in the front office you sat at the boardroom table where you are talking about playoffs is there manipulation in the standings do they say well you know what we'd rather get Team X. We'd rather have Team Y, and if we rest our guys here and we don't win that game, and it, does that actually happen, Bobby? Is there are there actually those kinds of discussions that take place? We did it in 2014 in Brooklyn, and we got saved by a Paul Pierce fingertip. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of the Raptors' coming out party, as far as. What, you know, that was the, the beginning stages of that, that team that went on to do a lot of good things. And we just felt that because we were a veteran team with Pearson Garnett and Joe Johnson, Darren Williams here, and a, a young Toronto team, even if we had to go on the road. Um, and we got saved. I mean, we played, a, you know, a, you know, a, a, you know, you guys know a heck of a game seven up there. And so I think you do have to be careful. I know, you know, I, I, yeah, I think you, you can't screw around with the, with the playoff gods here. So yeah, I mean, the, our team's going to try to avoid Brooklyn potentially here, but 
I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not as high on this Brooklyn team as, as I guess the casinos are and a lot of people around the NBA here. I just – I watched last night. I just think they're very predictable when we get into close games. Um, I thought their role players played well up to a, a certain point, and then things kind of went um, sideways here. So – in a one-game playoff, yeah, but you're going to have to, um, you know, in a, in a best of seven, you know, potentially here. So I don't know if we're going to see. It, it, it will be interesting how much jockeying, who rests guys, just to, to you know, getting get in that three to, you know, three to six range. So, Bobby, let, let me just follow up for one second here, just because I don't want to put words in your mouth by any means. When you talk about, uh, like, we did it in 2014 – what type of jockeying is it? Is it is it resting guys and saying, well, if we happen to win, so be it. But if we happen to lose, that's okay. Like, yeah. how do you mm-hmm. jockey? Is that is that basically the way it is? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's how it. I mean, basically, I mean, you're not, you know, basically putting out a G League team and saying, you know, God, I hope we lose the last two games so we can get the Raptors. Basically, is you know, we had an older team, we had a lot of minutes on guys, we were a little bit nicked up here, and. You know, you're going to basically treat the last few games like it's almost like a preseason where guys are going to play 20 to 25 minutes, and whatever happens, happens. If you fall into the seven seed or the six seed, that's just kind of the you know the, the cards you're dealt because the goal is to kind of get into the first round in in one piece. Hmm. Wow, uh, I- I- interesting, Bobby. Really, really interesting. I mean, um, I. I mean, I, I, I'm looking at it from that standpoint, too, because sometimes teams say, like, hey, we get who we get, and you're going to have to beat them at some point. But I guess you, if you can avoid them, that, that's, that's, that's not a bad thing either. And, I, and I'm, I'm looking at um, the play-in scenario or potential play-in scenario in the East, as Eric and I were talking about. Yeah. There's, there's three teams with the same record at the bottom. and. <laughs> Brooklyn, Charlotte, and, and Atlanta, uh, you're, you're fighting for your life. You don't really have time at that point to look at anything, do you? You're just, you're just, you're just trying to hang on. No, time is going to run out. I mean, I, I'd even, you know, I put Cleveland in that mix too. I, I think you can make an argument that um, out of the four teams that the, the Cleveland and one of the other three will be left out when the, when the regular playoffs start, just based on, Injuries have caught up with this team. I don't think we'll see Jared Allen. Mobley's out. Um, they've they've really um, they've really struggled down the stretch. And I think potentially Brooklyn or Charter or, or Atlanta could potentially catch them, and they could fall back into that nine ten hole. So um, it, it's it's fascinating here. I mean, uh, the Nets are in Atlanta on Saturday. They, the Nets have the easier schedule the last five games than probably the, the four you know the, the three other teams here. Um, but you are, you know, it's it's a you know a, you know winner go home type you know scenario here, and um, you know the three you know the three team Brooklyn, Charlotte, and Atlanta have actually played pretty good basketball here down down the stretch. Atlanta, Charlotte's played really well, certainly Atlanta here. So it's um, it's going to be interesting here because you know Miami or Milwaukee are going to face two really good teams. Speaking with Bobby Marks from ESPN. Bobby, I want to circle back to to something you were mentioning in in regards to postseason and the Raptors and, as we discussed here, the jockeying and whatnot and the the report that uh, Tim Bontemps had. Jonesy and I were kind of theorizing and guessing as to um, what might have been going down the other day with the Celtics. Was it a case of guys were actually sort of on injury maintenance or, and I'm not not saying it's true, but Al Horford, 
Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown all missed the Raptors game. Uh, so it, it begs the question, you know, are they vaccinated? Could it be an issue or not? Like, And, and the fact that Boston and Philly both uh, opted to not reveal the vaccination status of their roster to Tim, to Tim Bontemps, but Milwaukee and Miami had no problem saying, yeah, we're good, we're confirmed. <sighs> How much of an issue will that be potentially come playoff time for these teams? Clearly a major issue, I would assume, and I say if, 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 I want to make sure folks are clear, sure. if a guy yeah. like Jason Tatum is not vaccinated and can't play in potentially half a series against the Raptors. Yeah, I mean, I think Tatum had come out during camp and, and did say he was vaccinated. I mean, I think I, I do think that occurred here, but um, it, it's there's a couple of players from you know um, Philadelphia and, and Boston. I think it's just to, to keep an eye on. I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't want to say who they are because I don't want to be, you know, I don't want their, sure. their teams coming at me. But they're three key players. That's what I'll say here. And I think there's a window if they're not vaccinated, to get vaccinated. I think they have to do it by next week because you have to do it within two weeks, I think, for at least for the Johnson & Johnson shot um, for um, from a health standpoint here. And it's huge. I mean, it's three players that are impact players. So that's that's a factor. And, and I think Brad Stevens was just on the Boston radio and – he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't confirm that every player, you know, is vaccinated. He wouldn't deny it either. But, he, you know, so that leads you to the question, you know, you, all you have to do is just go back to the injury report on uh, earlier in the week and try to kind of do a, you know, a process of elimination here um, as far as who potentially it, it could be. And so that's going to be interesting. The same with, um, you know, the same with Philadelphia. I mean, you just go through and how many guys have been in, in the health and safety protocol multiple times? I mean, that's. Yeah. That kind of tips its hand here, so we'll see how it plays out. But it's fluid; like it is really fluid as far as um, you know. Potentially, an unvaccinated player could be vaccinated by today or by or by next week. And Jonesy, let me jump in for one second, Bobby. Just to be clear, I know you know this, and I hope most of our audience knows this. But there was—I uh, would only want to call it a report—an erroneous opinion being floated out there by I know a fellow member yeah. of the media about like, mm-hmm. oh. Maybe Toronto shouldn't even be allowed in the playoffs then, and, uh, and you know that. That was uh, awful. it was it was terrible I mean, I've because seen bad things. I've seen some bad things. That was yeah. terrible. That well, was it, terrible. I mean, and, and the fact, Bobby, is as as again, I just want to make sure the audience is clear. You need to be fully vaccinated to enter the United States too. So Toronto is fully vaccinated, and they would not have been able to play the entire regular season, let alone the playoffs, if they weren't vaccinated. So. Just wanted to make yeah, sure that was that. up there. That, yeah, I mean, come on, right? I mean, give me hey, a break. <laughs> hey, hey, Bobby, I want to jump back to something I alluded to earlier. There's all this talk about um, the MVP uh, yeah. and, and Jokic and Embiid. I, I'm telling you, and I saw it with, uh, I saw it with 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 Larry Bird. I saw it with Michael Jordan. Uh, we see it with LeBron. And now we're seeing it with Giannis. There is voter fatigue. If yeah. that guy, yeah. I, look, I, I'm not taking anything away from, and the people in Denver are going to like come at me now. Jokic <laughs> is unbelievable. He is unbelievable. His offensive game is unbelievable. He is, he is every position wrapped into one. He rebounds like a big guy. He has the smarts of, of any player at any position. He passes like a guard. Like the guy is unbelievable. But I think he would have trouble guarding my broadcast partner, Eric Smith, in the open floor at times. <laughs> and my MVP plays both ends of the floor. 
And Giannis is that guy. And people on Twitter are saying, well, he didn't guard Durant. Sometimes you don't go strength against strength. Yeah. But if that guy's not in consideration, for, like, and everybody's talking about Embiid and stuff, Giannis is, like, he fits the old school criteria. The best player on what is arguably the best team in the NBA. And maybe because he's got two, people are saying, well, he's got his two already. That, if that wasn't an MVP performance last night, like, I don't know what was. Yeah, I just hope that the vote – I don't have a vote, um, but I just hope the voters um, don't did not formulate an opinion after, like, 60 games. All right? I think that they happens They did with the Rookie lot. of the Year. And, yeah. They did with I the Rookie of the Year, Bobby. I think that happens a lot, and we forget that it's an 82-game season and people have to pay attention to what Giannis um, has done the whole year, especially what he's been doing the last um, you know, you know, few weeks. He's the best two-way player in the NBA. I mean, it's, it's not, even, not even a question. And when, you, I mean, when, when he's hitting free throws like he did last night and he's hitting th- – I mean, like, it was one of the best performances outside of what he did in, in, the, in the finals um, against against Phoenix here. So it, it will be interesting. You know, I have had you know Jokic Embiid as the top two. I said I would I would certainly um, if I did have a vote and I would take some time to evaluate it. Um, I would strongly consider Giannis in that in that top spot. And and I wouldn't have any you know I would feel comfortably doing it. Bobby, we always appreciate having you on and, and appreciate your insight. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll bug you if time permits for you and your schedule come playoff time. But thanks for joining us over the course of the regular season and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks, Appreciate, appreciate it, Bobby. It. Yeah, thanks. There's Bobby Marks from ESPN Front Office Insider. And I'll tell you what, Jonesy, uh, dropping, dropping more, than, more than a couple of dimes on, on, on that interview. Um, you know, coming out and fully admitting that they did jockey in 2015 trying to line themselves up for a series against the Raptors. And as he said, they got their backside saved by a Paul Pierce fingertip on Lowry's floater in Game 7 uh, where it almost blew up in their face trying to jockey. But then on top of that, how about breaking down the Boston Celtics and saying that three key players... Well, I've already done the process of elimination. If he's saying that, by all accounts, he's pretty confident that Tatum is vaxxed and has already come out and said he's vaxxed, and he mentioned the word key players, well, Marcus Smart played the other night. Who else is key on the Celtics? I mean, if you want to even be generous and say uh, Derek White, Grant Williams, uh, Daniel Tice, okay. No, no, no. Key players. Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Robert Williams. Yeah. I don't uh, know for I, certain that it's those guys, but that certainly seems no. like those three key guys. Yeah, no, and, and you look at who traveled and who didn't, and um, uh, hey, maybe you do, maybe you nip- manipulate, you do want the Celtics without those guys. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's wild. And, and this COVID protocols and, and health and safety. Not that it was never an issue, Eric, in the playoffs because of injuries and ankles and knees and shoulders and, you know, dislocated fingers and, and all, like, not that injuries and health wasn't an issue, but it becomes an, 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 an even bigger underlying invisible issue now because a guy could be on the, quote, injury report and not really injured. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> 
Absolutely. Um, I'm glad well, I was listen. sitting down, E. Yeah, I, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should take a knee, though. Um, all right. When we come back, we'll shift our attention from the NBA to the NCAA, but we're going to dig into more of this later on in the show because we will have Randy Foy joining us and also former NBA coach, longtime NBA coach Lionel Hollins as well. But Clark Kellogg, one of the best out there, will join us next on Smith & Jones. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Thanks again to Bobby Marks for joining us. Lionel Hollins and Randy Foy coming up later on in the show and joining us on the line right now. We're pleased to be joined by former NBA forward and, of course, college basketball analyst, one of the best out there. You've been seeing him over the last couple of weeks, and you'll see a lot of him this weekend as well, Clark Kellogg. Clark, thanks for the time today. Hey, my pleasure, Eric and Paul. Good to be with you. Uh, good to talk to you again, Clark. Um, you know, it's funny because I, I look at both tournaments, and the women's tournament, as much as there's yeah. noise about upsets, the Blue Bloods usually make it to the Final Four, and I look at the women's Final Four, and there it is again. But on, on the men's side, sometimes you get a crasher. You know, you get a George Mason. You get, you get, you yeah. get, you get a crasher. There are no crashers this weekend, though. Somebody at the security <laughs> gate has only let the Blue Bloods in. I mean, multiple Final Fours, <laughs> multiple championships. Um, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to a terrific weekend, and I'm wondering – does any one of these teams, um, I wouldn't say change their identity or their personality, Clark, but are they mindful of a way to play sticking to their style that is going to have an impact on their opponent? Like I think about Nova. I, I, I think about yeah. Carolina. Like, like mm-hmm. they have strengths. How much do they really yeah. try to play to those strengths and not so much worry about the scouting report or the other guy? I think that's the reality for all of the teams, Paul, quite honestly. You hear is a certain style and way of playing, and I don't think you can deviate to it from it very much. You can maybe tweak some things based on personnel of the opponent, but by and large, Villanova wants to control the pace. Um, devastating loss, and Justin Moore tearing his Achilles last week. That's a huge, obviously, disappointment for him and for the team. They'll have to find somebody else to rise up, and I think they will. I mean, the first game after you lose a key player, you've been around both the college and pro game. You see it. Teams galvanize around one another. They rally around the injured player. And that first game after you lose a key guy, usually you find an effort and a performance that belies um, your personnel, and I think you'll see that. But the pace of what Villanova wants to control the pace, Kansas wants to play inside out and, get the ball out in the open space and transition. On the other side, I don't think you'll see anything different from either of these teams. Carolina wants to score the ball. They don't run it as hard or as much as they did under Roy, but they still look to push it, hit you early, want to space the floor and hurt you with the three-point shot. Duke does a little bit of everything. They'll run it. They'll play inside out. They'll go isolation. I mean, they've got um, great personnel. So I think you'll see um, high-level basketball and – all four teams trying they've done to get to this point. Clark, I, I think we'll probably focus on each game a, a, a little bit here. Let me start with Villanova and Kansas. 
How important do you think it will be for Kansas to play a disciplined game to not get caught up in foul troubles and foul issues and putting Nova on the line? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, they're one of the best, if not not the best in terms of getting to the line and being efficient at the stripe as well. 53 of 59 in the tournament is what Villanova has shot from the line. Did not miss a free throw in the game against Houston, and that game was decided by six points in a combined, in an aggregate point total of 94. So your point, well made, well taken. Villanova is great. They're the best two-foot team in college basketball. No team stays on balance and pivots and jump stops better than Villanova. That's been the case for, uh, I'd say, the last eight to ten years, maybe longer. They are really well-schooled, and it's difficult to defend against. And you're right, patience defensively, discipline defensively is going to be critical because a team that wants to run is prone to, to getting anxious against a team that doesn't want to run. A team that wants to grind you down is very frustrating for a team that wants to get out and stretch their legs. So that's going to be critically important. And I think Kansas understands that. Will they be able to execute? Easier said than done. Clark, how much pressure, and and you're so right with that. I mean, it's, it's, I always say it's, it's hard to dance fast when the music is slow and, and, Good point. When I I look at uh, Kansas, how much more pressure does that put on, well, I was going to say their offense, but their defense too, because you've got to get stops, and then you're anxious to get the ball back. Sometimes you don't play that good defense. It's like, okay, they scored. Let's get the ball back. Let's go up and do our thing at the other end. And and it doesn't happen. So there's a premium now on your execution at both ends. Clearly. And both of these teams have been phenomenal defensively. I think Villanova has allowed 37% field goal defense shooting, and Kansas has allowed opponents to shoot 34%. So both of these teams know what to do defensively and have been really stingy and saran wrap-like defensively. But you're right, the patience at both ends. You've got to be patient enough to stay in your lanes, to stay on your feet when you're defending Villanova, to not let them get offensive rebounds that lead to spray-out threes. Those are hard to do when a team spaces you and is so disciplined offensively. And then when you do get your opportunities, you've got to be free, but you've also got to be good and disciplined. So, yeah, patience, um, to Eric's point, is a premium in this game for Kansas. And they have to show it consistently at both ends. Um, They're capable, but Villanova has a way of making it really hard for you to do that. That'll be one of the most intriguing things um, to keep an eye on in that game, in my opinion. Speaking with Clark Kellogg from CBS Sports. Clark, let me let me switch over to the other game then, but I want to maybe roll with the same theme or at least one of it when you just mentioned the word patience. I, I don't know if that's the fair word to use right here, but I'm trying to find an analogy or, or, or a segue here to the patience that maybe that Duke will have to play in or the composure that they will have to have as well by trying to play under the spotlight, as they're used to, I get that, but it's amped up that much more because of the subplot, of course, with Coach K. Like, I mean, this is this is the perfect movie script right now, the ending for Coach K to be here in the Final Four, but obviously the ultimate script, uh, you know, Clark, is to be in the final yeah. and to win the thing, to not cave under sure. that pressure. That's an immense amount of pressure on these players right now. Yeah, but I think they've been freed up from it, Eric. I've seen it throughout the tournament. I thought the game at Cameron, the last home game for Coach K, was really where the pressure mounted in a way that affected um, the outcome. Uh, All of the former players there, Coach K's last trip 
as the head coach at Cameron, the nature of that rivalry, which is intense, unpredictable, and uh, hotly contested. All of that led to what I thought was a tremendous performance by Carolina and a little bit of a feeling that pressure type of moment for the Blue Devils. That has been released by virtue of how they've won in the tournament. Come from five down late to beat Michigan State, go against a very mature and excellent defensive team in Texas Tech, and basically won that game late down the stretch with clutch play. And then you beat Arkansas pretty handily and do it with contributions from everybody. This team has been freed up to enjoy the joy of the game, their love for each other, their love for their coach, and most importantly, desiring to give him a gift that would make them all feel great. Think about how good you feel when you give somebody something that they desire. And you're doing it simply because you want to see them rejoice and be happy. And then you're also playing for yourself and your teammates now. So I think playing for each other and playing for this opportunity to give Coach K something special has freed them up in a way now where they're at their very best. The question for me and the concern is, could they be too hyped because it's Carolina? That is the concern. Uh Will the adrenaline be too much? Will they be emotional instead of just playing with great emotion? Those are two different things. That is the concern from where I sit. Will the adrenaline be too much? And typically in big games, in rivalry games, I go back to my ancient days of playing, that first shot, that first hit, that first rebound, that first TV timeout, that usually idles down, that anticipation and adrenaline rush that can get you out of your norm. But typically after a minute or two or three, you settle into losing yourself in the game. We'll see if that can be the case for Duke. But that's the greatest concern that I would have. Would they be too hyped and eager? And would that lead to uncharacteristic play? That's what I'll be um, locked into for them. Uh, you're in my wheelhouse there, Kellogg, with the, the sports psychology, with the, with the, uh, you know, the psyched up and psyched out, the, the, the arousal aggression curve, man. Uh, and, and you're there right. You and, and, but, but I was looking at the other side of it, Clark. I'm looking at the Carolina okay. side. Hubert Davis, a okay. former Raptor, had many a plane flight with him back in the day. I thought he's, I thought he's, mm-hmm. has done a terrific job. And I look at his team no where doubt. they did the, they had the other thing. They went in there, they spoiled the party at Cameron, and they danced out of there waving like, "Oh ho, see you later, we're out. We, you know, we ruined the party." And now there's yeah. another party they've invited, been invited to, and look who's hosting. Yeah. Like yeah. they, they yeah. thought they were done with that. And last Sunday yeah. they got in and they, they, they got their invite. And the good news was you're invited to the final four. And the bad news is uh, your host is Duke. And, and yeah. how will yeah. they play? Uh, you know, they played as I thought that Saturday night game against Duke at Cameron. They played with great emotional emotion and not yeah. emotionally. Yeah. Their, their part of yes. the arousal yes. aggression curve was good. Can they do yeah. it again, or are they feeling pressure by, oh, man, we got to do this again, and the stakes are higher? No, I think they're probably embracing the opportunity. 
But I look at it from this. That's a great way and perspective that you just shared, Paul, one I hadn't quite thought of. But I look at it from this standpoint. When teams are pretty evenly matched, I tend to lean towards the psychological edge going to the team that lost the most recent matchup, in part because you can't manufacture hunger if your refrigerator and pantry are full. But mm-hmm. when you've lost, the disappointment is real and it's recent. And there's another level of motivation that tends to favor the team that's coming from the loss. Just mildly. But think, so I look at it that way. Duke is relishing this opportunity. Rubber match, chance to get to the championship game. Can Carolina match that and re-up and get to that perfect emotional and performance level that they showed a few weeks ago. And I think, quite honestly, I think both teams will play at a high level because there has been enough time between that last meeting. Guys haven't forgotten about it, obviously, but there's been enough time. Both teams are playing at a good level. Both teams are confident. Both teams are healthy as we look at tomorrow. So I think we're in store for a a game worthy of of a semifinal with two um, iconic programs um, playing for a chance to to play for it all on Monday. Uh, all right. B- before we go, uh, we're we're coming up against the clock here, uh, Clark. Okay. Uh, do you have a guy who could? What kind of shot clock do we have? Up? Oh, I need numbers now. <laughs> um, uh, we got the college one. Thirty second. We're not we're not doing that. That. Okay. That perfect. I just I just second. need to know what I got. What I got to work with. And and fourteen second offensive rebound. We're not doing that. Who's your most outstanding player in in the in the in the final four? Who's who's on on tap for that? I think the best player left is Paolo Bancaro. Whether he rises up to be your MOP for this final four, I don't know, but I think he's the best player left in the field. Okay, well listen, that was that was quicker than thirty, Clark. So I'm gonna now ask you the of course the question you you know comes on every interview. Who are, who's in your final? I've got Duke and Kansas getting there. I just think Kansas will find a way to spurt once or twice and be able to get away from Villanova wanting to snail pace the game. And I just think Duke is on a collision course with destiny to give Coach K um, his sixth championship and to send him out um, in a way that uh, would be Hollywood-like. All right, Clark. We appreciate the time and the insight, as always. Love having you on. Thanks for this. Yeah, love it, guys. Enjoy it. Take care. Enjoy the weekend and enjoy your Friday. Will do. You as well. There is Clark Kellogg, former NBA forward and, uh, of course, longtime NBA and NCAA analyst. You've been seeing him a lot over the last couple of weeks, over the last couple of decades, period, but you see him a lot this weekend with the Final Four as well. And I'll tell you, man, Jonesy, I, you can't make me cheer for Duke. You really can't. I hate that team, but I, I will admit it would be kind of cool, as, as much as it pains me to say it. I guess it would be cool. It would be a, the great Hollywood ending for Coach K to ultimately – uh, yeah. Win that title and go out in style. Oh, one it, it feels dirty coming out. I'm going to wash my mouth out with soap in the commercial break. Ugh. One of our colleagues, E, one of our colleagues messaged me yesterday and said, Hollywood and the basketball gods have written the script. Coach K cuts down the nets on Monday night. Ugh. Just to, just to like, just to Ugh. give me a dig. Just to give me a dig. It wasn't Paul Bromby, was it? No, it wasn't Bomber. All right. I know Why, is he a Duke, Duke fan, guy. too? Yeah. Do I have to cross yeah. him off the Christmas card list, too? Well, oh. he's also a brownies yeah. guy, so you got to still take care of him, I guess. <laughs>